Howdy, folks. Widget Walls from NeedCoffee.com here. Listen, on behalf of myself and the two guys who actually do know what they're talking about when it comes to music, thanks for downloading The Soundboard, our humble music podcast. Just a quick note here to say thank you to everyone who's helped support Need Coffee and its podcasts down through the ages. And I know we mentioned this at the end, but I wanted to make sure and say this up front here on The Soundboard. Because Need Coffee is listener-supported and because this podcast actually does cost things to put out there, and because I'm the guy with the company that pays for everything, trust me, any help you do provide is greatly appreciated. Whether it's going to needcoffee.com slash support and throwing a few coins to us via PayPal or bookmarking needcoffee.com slash Amazon and using that to go to the Amazon front page and buy stuff you were going to buy anyway, and we get kickbacks that way, every little bit helps to keep the lights on and the microphones humming. So thank you to everyone for your support from the little music podcast that could. It warms us, even when the threat of a boy band revival makes us cold. Enjoy the show. All right, no problem. All right, so starting, we're doing recording, doing it now. All right, howdy, folks. This is Widget Walls here from needcoffee.com, and uh, we're here for another episode of The Soundboard. Uh, it's just like, uh, it's a musical podcast equivalent with me in the chair of one of the airport movies where the two actual <laughs> pilots are sick uh, and can't actually fly the plane. And uh, so I'm, I'm kind of like Robert Hayes, but with a different sort of drinking problem. Uh, so, yes, joining me are the two uh, actual pilots. Uh, we have uh, Professor Tuffley is here. Hello, Tuffley. Hey, sir. You look like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> you ever been inside a Turkish prison? Uh, and uh, we also have Rob is here. Hi, Rob. <laughs> Hello. Yes, yeah, so, well... I didn't expect that to, to veer into airplane, but that's that's a, that's how we roll here on the soundboard. Uh, so yes, we're 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 back again. Uh, coming up later in the show, we're going to be talking about um, musicians, artists who change their identities, uh, not necessarily to protect the innocent, because seldom are they, uh, but just why they do it, when they do it, uh, and uh, and do we care? Um, yeah. So that's important. Uh, and uh, and also later, if uh, if we have time, punching Bieber as a pastime. Uh, yes. I, I'm sure. Oh please, there'll oh, be an app God. for that. <laughs> so, all right, but first, but first, and and we'll we'll do this so that we can we can get the uh, the sad stuff out of the way. Uh, we wanted to say something about uh, about Kitty Wells, uh, the queen of country music, if I have the title correctly, uh, who most recently passed away. At Rob, wasn't she like? 92 yeah i believe yeah yeah so so Um, tell us about miss wells very briefly i forgot that she was even alive which is a really horrible thing to say but um and i was unfamiliar with that she was the queen of country i always thought it was loretta lynn but then loretta lynn said no 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 this is this she's the queen of country you know and gave these really great stories about how when she was starting and when tammy wynette was starting and all these like classical sort of country singers that, that followed came along, Kitty Wells would always like sit them down and sort of give them business advice, not just like, Hey, I really like your records, but like business advice, because um, the easiest way to describe Kitty, Will- Kitty Wells is that she was the female equivalent of Hank Williams in the lexicon of country music. Um, I don't listen to a whole lot of country, but I really appreciate a lot of the older kind of thing, old kind of classical. So think of like her and Patsy Cline kind of being contemporaries of that, of that ilk. Um, she's most well known for your cheating heart, 
uh, which everyone's heard on a million commercials and things. But look up her discography, and you'll probably recognize a couple different songs that she wrote. Her forte was writing really good sort of breakup uh, heartache songs, but she had such a great voice that it sort of lent itself to that. I mean, that's kind of what she did, but her voice was just so incredible in the same way that, you know, a lot of the the soul singers, you can hear the pain in their voice or the exuberance in their voice, depending on what they're singing about. She had that sort of effect with with country music. And it's a huge passing because she's this like landmark figure in country music. And um, there wouldn't be, you know, people like Minnie Pearl, Loretta Lynn, Dolly Parton. None of these people would have happened if she hadn't came along because mm. she pretty much – um, besides being, you know, a, a female in the in the world of country that sort of didn't take any prisoners, had some sass and did things her way, she also sort of broke down that gender barrier for women in country music and then subsequently later in contemporary music. Um, because at the time when she broke big, there were not a lot of women on the charts, and she sort of she started to change that. She always kind of downplayed her importance in that. But she's a, if you don't like country music. Um, think of her though as being important and significant because she really did a lot to break down the barrier of getting women on the radio and getting women able to make records and then getting women who toured to get the same billing as men and also to get as uh, equal wages as men touring as well. So that is why she's important. And uh, she's 92. She was 92, which again leads me back to these, um, you know, we kids now who listen to music, uh, of our generation, kind of owe, owe it to the young kids after us to let them know who all these great old um, musicians are. You know, sort of the the Brubecks and and uh, and Tammy you know, and Loretta Lynn's of our generation. People need to know why these people are important. So that is why we're mentioning it, and it's a pretty sad thing. But check out our records; are surprisingly, you know, listenable. And uh, for the days and times in which they were made, the recording processes, you know, sounded great. So, but check out our records. They're really, they're really, really uh, not that bad. You know, I know a lot of people cringe when you say country music, oh, you know, but this is back before it got all, you know, country music networkified. So this yeah. is, this is bull in the wool music. Anybody can relate to kind of country. So there you go. Yep. Uh, thanks, Rob. And yeah, I, I agree. It's, the, the old school country, uh, I can listen to a lot easier than, uh, as I always refer to it, my, uh, the truck is up on blocks and so is my mother-in-law type of, uh, yeah. trailer park insanity. So, uh, but no, some, some definitely sad news there. Um, so that being said, moving on to, uh, uh, to, to new business, so to speak. Um, th does anyone have anything they want to report on that is new or interesting that they have found that we need to let the listeners know about? Um, for myself, I, I found uh, uh, there's a band, Medicine, that I had always liked their song Time Baby off of the Crow soundtrack. Yay. Yeah, and, and of course, there's another version of it. That was Time Baby 3, and there's Time Baby 2. I have not found Time, ba Time Baby 1, you know, the original. Yeah, did you get the reissues? No, I've not gotten the reissues. And that was, um, that was the thing, is that I, I found uh, Mechanical um, – oh, crap, I just looked it up. Uh, yeah. and I've lost it, but no, uh, oh, mechanical forces of love on Spotify, which is absolutely fantastic. Yes. And apparently they're reformed and touring uh, like yeah. everyone else. Well, it's interesting as Brad Laner has always been the guy in medicine. So he yeah. always kind of reformed it with, I don't know if it's the original lineup or not though. That's what I don't know. 
it's very easy when you're the one guy that drives the band to always sort of reform them and say, yeah. you know, is it the spiritualized school of medicine or is it, you know, nice. um, but yeah, I've got the reissues, which I should, I should share with you because they're really good. And the reissues have a couple different, the demos for time baby. Oh, on them. nice. Okay, and you good. can hear time the baby whole one. evolution of the songs. They're great. Time baby point five. <laughs> yes. So, uh, well, that, that's, that's what I have. That's what's been sucking in, uh, uh, my brain, uh, toughly. Toughly, what do you have anything for us that is new or interesting or live? Um, or uh, the new Hot Chip album I've been listening to, which is quite Damn good. It. And uh, I think we, we briefly okay. mentioned this. We briefly mentioned this on Justice a couple of weeks back, but uh, considering this is probably the last one we're going to put out before it comes out, uh, Easy Star All Stars is uh, Trilla, which is the uh, their take on Michael Jackson's Thriller album. So uh, that is definitely worth a look when it comes out. Uh, the Billy Jean EP is uh, is out now. Uh, it's got a couple of remixes of Billie Jean and uh, also the really good Human Nature uh, cover that's on there as well uh, that I would recommend. But check that out. It comes out August 28th. Cool. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard the Human Nature cover, but everything they do, even I, I like it all. I like some better than others, but it's it's always interesting no matter what. Um, yeah. So so yeah so Rob what 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 do you got you're you're listening to Hot Chip obviously but what what else Yeah well the Hot Chip record is great and then I also want to sort of mention uh, concurrently it's kind of weird that these happen at the same time Joe Goddard from Hot Chip has a side project called The Two Bears Oh yeah, yeah you mentioned that and before. that's a, and that's a fun little record um, it's a neat little bookend by contrast to the Hot Chip record um, which the Hot Chip record really grows on you it takes a little bit to come out of the box but it, it grows on you. And uh, the other thing I did want to recommend is the, the brand new Regina Spector record, which not everybody in the world loves, but I, I, I just think everything she does is really rock solid. Um, so I do recommend checking that out. And this is probably her most accessible record that she's hmm. made. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, if people want to hear her be poppy and, and pleasant and not angry and spiteful, this is the one they want to get. Um, although her first record is still pretty amazing. Uh, so I do recommend that. Uh, I still like the new Sigur Ross album quite a bit. I think it's just, uh, just incredible. Everything those guys do though is really, really sort of fun. Um, trying to think of some other things. There's an interesting little record by the soul savers, which are this band from Bristol. They're kind of a collective, like, um, you know, they have that sort of Portishead, uh, Massive Attack sort of Bristol thing going on, mm. but every album they have a different singer. So the last album they did, they had the guy from um, Mark Lanigan. Um, oh, Screaming Trees. Yeah. 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 And for this record, they have Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode. And all oh. the songs, instead of being poppy and dancey, they all, there's all those like sort of like um, songs of faith and devotion or Depeche Mode where they did these sort of like gospel-y sad Gloomy Gospel-y, kind of song. bluesy kind of feels. Yeah, and yeah. that's kind of where where the vocals are for it, which is kind of great. Um, I've liked it much more than I thought I would, and it's kind of seeped in a little bit more um, than I had originally uh, anticipated. So it's one of those records I, that sort of just uh, creeps up on you as well. And then if you want a really good, just general feel-good album, um, again, Saint Etienne, Words and Music by Saint Etienne. It's really, really great. Um, it's really well produced. It's got that sort of like happy afternoon record. You could play it while you're working. You could play it and your other significant other can listen to it and enjoy it. And it's really, really good. And then also the new Bobby Womack record is just phenomenal. And again, another really great person who makes great records. Uh, Bobby Womack's new record is produced by Damon Alburn, uh, Blur. Mm-hmm. 
who he worked with on the gorillas. So it kind of has that sort of gorilla y kind of feel to it with that soulful voice, that voice of his. If you have never heard Bobby Womack and you don't think you did, you probably have if you've seen uh, Jackie Brown because he sings across 125th Street. Um, which is used in the really well. That's kind of how, sadly, almost how I rediscovered Bobby Womack is through that movie. And that voice is just, along with Bill Withers, is probably one of the two great living jazz voice or soul voices, male soul voices left. Nice. And um, well, it's well, really, here, well, here's here's my question is I, I just it seems like every time I turn around, Regina Spector's got a new album out. So I just I don't know if I'm blacking out for like six months at a time or if she's just. A I machine. think it's been, a, it's been a year or two since the oh, last one. Okay, well, then I have been blacking out. No, I don't remember. <laughs> she, I think, far was the last one, and it was out uh, maybe a year and a half ago. Wow. Yeah, okay. and the thing that the thing to have with that record... She did put out a live album in between. Oh, okay, now, well, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, the other thing, too, that's interesting with her is that like, that, that last record came out, and for maybe the first six or seven months it was out, it was just, nobody really discovered it. Mm. And then that uh, that folding chair song sort of permeated into TV commercials, and um, you know you're standing in line in Taco Bell. It's that that music of it, that you hear in stores, and then it started to get some legs. So I think you know that record probably would have been put away a lot sooner had some of the tracks not kind of ended up on TV shows right. or you know the licensing with her. Her she has been very clever with her music licensing. And it's it's added length to that album. So like I was kind of like with like you were. I'm like, wait a minute, what what's going on here? Because like I know on Record Store Day she put out a, a seven inch, and then they said, oh yeah, she's got a new album coming out. And I'm like, really? Nice. <laughs> that fast? Really? Okay, sure, I'll play. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. But that's it. I mean, that's cool. kind of what I can think of off the top of my head. Cool. Uh, all right. Okay, so uh, moving right on, uh, we'll do a quick live concert update here. And and you might think, well, God, you guys talk about that all the time, but new and interesting things are happening because God himself has passed judgment on Lollapalooza uh, by sending storms that were so bad that they they had to basically shut the place down and evacuate yeah. the park. Um, well, is- I'm glad I didn't go. <laughs> But I mean that that has got to suck because I mean it's it's a it's it seems to me like a huge logistical nightmare just to get everyone in there, and then you've mm-hmm. got to go okay no everyone go home and we'll call you we'll call you when it's back up again. How, I don't even think it was that. I think didn't they put everybody in storm shelters at Grant Park? Is did that they? How that I, I thought well all I saw was evacuated, and to me, mean evacuated yeah. means get the hell out. So maybe I'm yeah. Well. I I had a friend of mine who went, who toughed it out, and he was really happy that he did. But the basic, the basic, really, the long and short of this is that they had these really bad storms with hail and high winds. So they evacuated Lollapalooza, and then they got Rahm Emanuel, the mayor of Chicago, basically set it up where he extended the curfew for when it resumed. They could just pick up where they left off and not have to move anything. So all the bands got the play and everything. It was just, think of it as like halftime or something, right? Um, But much much damper. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I think what's extraordinary about it is the fact that they managed to, to get all these people evacuated without a panic. Uh, I, 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 I haven't read anything for sure, but I, I would think they must have had a plan because the, the way the execution of it seemed to be. Um, I think you plan these things now in light of what's happened with the Radiohead thing and what happened with the uh, the Sugarland thing last year. Yeah. Uh, where you have these incidents with uh, – 
storms and scaffolding falling and things like that. So I think yeah. so I think obviously obviously when it got to Lollapalooza, the Lollapalooza and the Coachella people have had plans for this. Well, I mean, I, I was just I was just looking at the article again. A hundred thousand people. You don't shift a hundred thousand people around uh, if you're smart without some kind of plan. So I would yeah. I would think yeah they had some sort of contingency. Well, I mean even even if it's not just a storm, even if for some reason there was some I don't know some sort of terrorist oh, right. scare or something yeah. or so anything yeah. you'd want to be able to how you know again it's 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 literally the equivalent of uh in the event of an emergency please move to the exit like you've got in uh movie cinemas but much yeah. much larger um yeah. so anyway well also i know for a fact that bonnaroo actually does have a severe storm contingency given that it's in you know middle tennessee so, yeah so I, I would almost think that if the coachella people simply are running Lollapalooza and coachella Especially with Coachella having the weather change there and Chicago, the way the weather goes, comes and goes so fast. I would almost bet they had a plan. I bet they never rehearsed it and they never thought it would go this well. But, um, you know, I think it's still too early for us to hear anything, me too. But I mean, I'm really, I've really, in general this year, been very impressed much more with Lollapalooza than I thought. I mean, I didn't necessarily love the lineup, but the fact that, like, you could watch bands from Lollapalooza on stream, you know, through streaming video. And the fact now that they evacuated 100,000 people that quickly, you kind of have to wonder, you know, wow, these guys really have their stuff together. I mean, if I'm buying tickets for a festival, that kind of impresses me, you know. Um, it almost makes you want to validate the $70 you're paying for your ticket or 90 Um The flip side of that is that they decreased their three-day passes to make everyone buy one- and two-day tickets separately to run the price up. But um, – yeah, I was very impressed with how quick they did that. I was I was kind of even shocked too that they resumed the bands playing in the evening. I just thought they'd call it a day and that was it. Well, you know, it, it's it's funny you mentioned the curfew thing because the next thing I wanted to bring up, which I think is hilarious and sad at the same time, is that um, well, across the pond, and this was uh, this was what last last month was it? <sighs> This was last yeah. month of the run up to the because they were having all sorts of concerts leading up to the Olympic. Right. Stuff. So, so, so this is one of them. Yeah. So national the UK national treasure, Paul McCartney, uh, on stage with uh, with Bruce Springsteen. They're playing. What was it? They were uh, twist and shout. Yeah, they're playing. When, when the curfew hit and they got the pu- plug pulled on them. Now, now, surely, surely, if Sir Paul McCartney is on stage. That uh, you know, if if it's if it's like I don't know, if it's okay, yes, if it's like a a Bruce Springsteen tribute act or a Beatles tribute act, okay, fine. But it's Paul McCartney. I mean, show a little bit of respect and at least well, let him finish the song. Well, the thing is too is that one, when they book Springsteen, they should know right off the bat that even though his concerts are slated for three hours, it's really five. I mean, when you book Springsteen, because I think it was a Springsteen concert, and McCartney was the extra guest, right? Yeah, Springsteen was the uh, it was a Springsteen show, and McCartney came out at the end. Yeah, and they had to have known ahead of time he was coming out, I would think. But I think this is I I am guessing that this is a case of someone getting really jumpy and taking his job too seriously and messing up horribly, you know. But think about you know. Just well, the this, particular, this particular neighborhood council has been very, 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 very strict with when they have pulled the plug on people at Hyde Park. 
because this is not the first time they've done this. This is probably the biggest artist they've done this on. Yeah. But it's not the first time they've done this. They've pulled the plug on T in the park like almost every year. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, it's like but, you you would think you would think that basically at this point there would be some location in London that would be like because if this is just a, a a local council type of thing, you, you'd think somebody would make a point of coming up with a venue that was like, no, really, we, we we don't care. Come and have a good time and spend your money here. By the way. Well, it's Hyde Park, which is this huge open park. Um, so I don't know how you would get anybody out of there <laughs> by the end of a curfew anyway, unless. I, I don't know. Storm, but, apparently. You know, but it's think. Stop and think about this. It's Bruce Springsteen and Paul McCartney. Do you want to go down in history as the guy who pulled the plug on Bruce Springsteen and Paul McCartney? Really? You know, I mean, they very easily could have let him finish the song and then wow. then pulled it after the song. You know? Yeah, just just um, come up and said, guys, guys, this is last song, and then we got to go, and then. At least that, but no, you got to just pull the plug. And it's ridiculous. I understand to a certain degree that you're, you're that you're getting a spontaneous sense of energy because apparently, when McCartney McCartney got up there with Springsteen, you know, one he hasn't done Twist and Shout in a very long time, and two, he is never he's always sort of stands behind the piano and he's very reserved. But they no one's ever really gotten McCartney to really cut loose and unwind and just have fun, you know, like. In the trappings of a regular concert, he's always very much a stage sort of show. And this was very much just two musicians. This was like almost a, a live bar band play, you know? I mean, little Stevie was like, I looked up and I saw the lead singer of the Beatles singing with Bruce Springsteen. And he's like, I almost couldn't play. I mean, it's, you know, these guys are having so much fun. It was like not even anything that you would want to as a decent human being pull a cord on i mean it's not like you know it's not like they're doing anything controversial they're not you know it's not an interview i didn't fuck the police it's not you know people <laughs> telling everyone it's not telling everyone oh, no, but like that's i want to see that i want to no, see no. springsteen and mccartney doing fuck the police no i mean it's not like it's nwa up there right no i mean <laughs> i love to see him I wish, live. I've got an idea. i've got an idea yeah. how's this yeah what's Why if we can get Springsteen and McCartney to do a cover of Fuck the Police, when they start doing it, we'll start talking about how we love it as one of our favorite covers ever and continue to talk over it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That would be hilarious. There you go. There, there's a comic relief single for you right next to the uh, the Will I Am Miriam Margulies, uh duet, I think, that needs to happen. <laughs> I mean... I would just have loved to have been able to see that, you know, just like, wow. You know, I mean, I but... love the fact that at the very next Springsteen show, granted without McCartney, the very first thing they do at the very next show is pick up where they left off. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's a great way of uh, hopefully shaming some of the people involved. What was it? Uh, Boris Johnson was outraged. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Boris Johnson was, was of course, it's kind of easy to, to outrage Boris Johnson. I know, but it's so much fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, just some, some ridiculous news from across the pond there. Oh, and sp oh, I didn't even mean to transition like this. But speaking of water, um, Coachella <laughs> is going on the waves. Now, so so not not content with, you know, having festivals and places like, you know, Chicago and out in the middle of nowhere and 
they're going on a boat. Is this is this a good idea, or what is what does everyone think about this? Well, I have a friend of mine who I still use the word friend, even though it's sad. Um, who goes every year okay. and sees these? No, this you'll understand why in a minute. Okay, because he he makes it a point every year to go on a cruise and see Collective Soul and Better Than Ezra and I think one other band on on like a cruise, a band oh, cruise. Okay, and I'm just like, dude, if you're on a cruise and you're seeing crap bands, it's a crap cruise, right? But there have been these sort of packaged sort of cruises for a while. I mean, back when he was alive, Heavy D did a couple cruises with like a couple like Kid and Play and stuff like that. They they do these like package sort of tours on well, boats. But they're always sort of years. but they always sort of did these sort of like kitschy one off kind of bands. Or bands that were like kind of in mid tier bands that still had a cult following. This is they've never really done anything this big, you know. But you know, sure, if they want to do it, great. You know, knock yourself out. But there's too much going on on a cruise to really enjoy the experience. I mean, one, you've got the band playing on an actual boat. And if they're playing on a boat deck, you're exposed to the elements. You've got the roll and pitch of the ships and all that, which I guess they can control. But, you know, you have all these beautiful, you know, seascapes and sunrises and sunsets. You're, why would you want to go see a band in the middle of the ocean? I just, you know, you're not going to get to meet them. Like you can see meet them at Coachella. You're not going to go up to the Lido deck and, you know, hang out with ministry or anything. But, um, <laughs> well, although that, what, would, be, well, that would be what, fucking though? awesome. You know what though, vomit usually occurs at a black lips show, so you know it it's just helping the process for everyone collectively. Nice. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, if they can make it happen, great. I mean, it's a whole new audience of people they can reach. You know, there's people that won't necessarily want to go to Coachella because it's in the middle of nowhere. They don't want to go to Chicago. Um, but this kind of it's a, this this does get their brand out to a completely new different group of people and to be honest it probably gets them a higher income level of people to come and see their their stuff i um i think it kind of markets it toward us because haven't we been every time we talk about festivals don't we bitch about you know the people lack of bathrooms lack of stuff lack of you know uh, it, yeah but that doesn't mean i want to get on a boat with these people either well no but you can go go away from them because the thing about a festival is you can't really ditch the people because you can't yeah. leave the grounds. But if you've yeah. got your own room and you've got your own bathroom and you've got your own shower and then you yeah. can come back and see the bands you want to see, I mean, that that, that takes, is kind right? of cool. yeah. That takes 90% of most of our collective complaints about festivals out of the way. Yeah, plus there's the added thing that if I actually don't like a band, I can actually throw them overboard. Exactly. If if you want to take Girl Talks, you know, if you want to take his laptop and send it overboard. You'd have five more. I know. But, you know, like, I could think of nothing more frightening than the idea of a cruise with, like, the Flaming Lips. I mean, you know, I mean. Well, you you saw the headliner on this. It's Pulp, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's let's all think about that for, for a moment and think about that. Uh, <laughs> Now, did they announce anyone else? Closed space. Yeah, it's uh, Pulp and Hot Ship and Girl Talk and James Murphy and Sleigh Bells. I think uh, Black Lips are in there somewhere. James Murphy, who, by the way, according to the article, will be hosting a wine tasting. So. <laughs> Jesus. But here's my question. I'm trying to find. I was just going to their website and they're saying accepting reservations now, but I don't see a price. 
So I'm just like, well, because part of my thing would be the real differentiator might be that, I mean, because cruises, cruises are fucking expensive. I mean, I've. Yeah. Well, obviously, you've got to get yourself to Florida because I think this thing is leaving from Florida. So you'd have to get yourself to Florida to get on the boat. Yeah. Uh, So there would be that part. So in addition to like traveling across the country and getting there on a particular day to get on the boat, you'd actually have to pay for the boat. And I guess a different band is playing every night. Is that kind of how it's working? I have no idea. I mean, I I would assume that it was basically just your festival because it's like a three three day cruise. Yeah, so it would basically be mini festivals. I mean, the bigger bands would probably have the bigger rooms, and then you know the smaller acts would have either smaller rooms or like play uh you know play on decks. Although those decks are so big that they could easily yeah. put a band. Yeah. I mean, these are pretty huge ships we're talking about now, so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a frightening thought. I mean, it's like, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> you know, but no, I mean, good for them. They're, they're going to make money. I'm, again, I think it's going to be really, really pricey, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I think what you end up doing is you get the people who pay for the VIP tickets at these festivals. Yeah. Because it's going to be, I'm guessing it's about the same price. Yeah. Uh, with a couple of extra whistles and bells. Um, and, and it's basically, you know, the people who go to the festivals and pay for the VIP tickets, but really, really, really don't want to hang out with other people. Yeah. So basically us. Possibly Man, with if, more. If Ted Lang were the bartender on that boat, I would go in a minute. You never know, Rob. Okay, so so here you go. I just looked it up. A a single. This is for the three night Bahamas cruise. There's a four night as well, uh, which I guess is Jamaica. But the uh, the lowest stateroom that you can get, and I have no idea if this. Uh, I just got this far. You have to first of all, you have to register with the Coachella site to even look at prices, which is lame. Okay, but basically, it looks like twenty four hundred dollars is your cheapest single person price that you could do unless you wanted to like room with somebody you don't know and why would you do that so there you go how very silly but anyway uh but yes if they can i I would i would love to know what the sales would be like for that especially because it would be rob you're right if it would be one thing if you could like you know get facetime with the band or something or somebody something but if the if the only thing is it's the same festival you're just on a boat then to me it's like well okay you've you've given me the festival experience toughly's right you've removed some of the detriments that i have found to be in place but you've also added the added detriment of potential drowning so um <laughs> it's a bit of a toss-up really yeah uh so anyway so that's very interesting um all right so in other news, however, talking about live events, there's this thing happening called the Olympics. Again, across the pond we go. And uh, it's been a lot of sports and stuff that I don't understand. They sometimes hit balls and use sticks, I think. Can I, can I just say trampoline is awesome, though? <sighs> Jesus. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's an actual... <laughs> 
Wait a minute. Yes. 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 And it is awesome. How? What the? So wait a minute. It's the new curling. No, hang on, hang on. So, so I, I don't want to get off topic here because this is a music podcast, but I just have to ask, am I to understand that cricket, which at least is a, you know, even if it's incomprehensible, is indeed a sport that is played around the world, is not an Olympic sport, but trampoline is. And ping pong. No, no, ping pong I can understand because I've I can too. Because yeah. full on ping pong play is like, holy shit. I mean, they're like ninjas, but I mean, yeah. I'm just like trampoline, really. Yeah. Uh, now, if you had now, if you're talking like Cirque du Soleil trampoline running things and stuff, that might be one thing. But Jesus Christ. Anyway, so the point being, though, is that as part of this Olympic insanity, uh, they had a completely mental opening ceremony uh, as directed by Danny Boyle, man who brought you, among other things, 28 days later. Uh, so I was very, uh, I, no spoilers. I mean, I don't want to do any spoilers, but I will tell you that no rage zombies actually appeared during the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. Uh, uh, now they had a bunch of NHS nurses there. So in case there was an outbreak, I'm sure they could have handled it, but, uh, but no actual rage zombies appeared. But the reason I bring this up is because you had a great deal of music involved with the, the opening ceremonies and, and a lot of music that, I, I've got a sneaking suspicion that the Queen had never actually heard before. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if, uh, I mean, just looking at the, where is that? I got the list here. Uh, There's actually a CD of it coming out, too. Oh, yeah. There's a two disc really? CD where one CD is yeah. all the music specially made for the Olympics and the live stuff, yeah. and the other disc is all the procession music. Well, I. You know, I, there's some. There's basically the the list that I'm looking at here. I think is like 83 songs, and of course, this was stuff that was played uh, during the Parade of Nations and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but you had a lot of stuff that. Um, I think the total list is somewhere in the neighborhood of 250 songs. Oh, really? Yeah. Jesus Christ! Uh, it did feel that long. I will say that. But um, some of the choices very interesting. Uh, the fact that, um, you know, you have the Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen. Which they skillfully, I mean, I love that. That was a clever edit, by the way. Yeah, they basically showed an overview of East London, and then they froze over the 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 same spot like the East Enders opening. Yes, yes. And they played God Save the Queen, but they cut it right before the second line could come in. And, you know? and, and did the drum beats from the East Enders theme to kind of, that, yeah. was, that was nice. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yes, and, and also, um, I, I, am I the only one who thought? Now I understand, I understand Mike Oldfield and whatnot. But I just thought it was really weird. I know tubular bells and everything, but I'm like, why are you playing the theme to The Exorcist at the Olympics? This is a little strange, especially when they're having kids having nightmare dreams, like the whole thing with the nurses and the yeah. kids in the beds. Giant Voldemort appearing, and I, I'm sure, I'm sure, folks, uh, dear listeners, if you have not seen this, you can probably find it on. Uh, uh, on YouTube, since there's no tell, I think I think when NBC got a hold of it, it was about five minutes long, and yeah. uh, and mostly commercials. So, uh, well, no, when NBC got, you couldn't tell some of the music that was involved because NBC commentators just wouldn't shut up. <laughs> yes, and I swear to God, I don't know if part of the problem was that, and because the Olympic coverage was obviously aired on the BBC, and Danny Boyle knew this. Um, obviously the BBC and the Olympics aren't going to be paying for, you know, royalty 
for stuff that's going to be aired on the Olympics in England on BBC. However, I doubt that NBC had the same deal. So I'm guessing a lot of the reason that a lot of the talking during the opening and during several of the music performances was the fact that NBC had decided to go cheap on the royalties and only pay for the McCartney songs. If, but it also might have been waived for the Olympics. Or might, I mean, that's such a huge thing. I almost think somebody would have thought of that. I don't know. I just honestly think that they didn't think that people cared about seeing it. Well, because I'm... they're going for a down-the-middle Joe average audience watching the well, Olympics, right? Where the where the odds, probably yeah. the odds of the, the odds of you and I being the only people that cared about seeing the Arctic Monkeys are extremely high. <laughs> you well, know, I mean, the problem is it's not just the fact that you know, it, and nobody could have cared about seeing the Arctic Monkeys, but the fact that you know you have Costas repeating that this is his favorite cover of that song, and they just won't shut up long enough for people to I hear know. it. I know. Makes suspect that you know maybe they didn't have maybe they didn't want to pay royalty on that. You but know the Dizzy Rascal oh, song they let most of that go, which I thought was interesting. Well, uh, the other thing too is that, I, to my knowledge, not talking over a I mean talking over a song does not negate the need to pay royalties because you can still hear it, right? So I mean, because well, otherwise, otherwise you could just put anything you wanted in the background of a dialogue scene in a movie and you'd be fine. Well. Well, you notice that the only time because I, and the only the other reason I suspect there there could be a royalty thing involved here is because um, the the audio the stadium audio was rather muted through the majority of the opening, so you didn't actually hear most of the music not really well, um, but you notice it seemed to come up once the McCartney song came up when when Hey Jude came up. Uh, that they actually piped in the stadium audio. Hmm. Yeah. Because it wasn't actually in the audio that was actually being broadcast until they got to the McCartney song. And that might have been, a, in advance, the only thing they knew would get a loud pop, too. Yeah. That's possible. And and and, uh, and I have to say that, that the... Um, I mean, like I said, I like Arctic Monkeys. I, I really dig that song, but I was just like... That that's it seemed like a weird choice for the Olympics. I don't know. I just something like unless unless maybe there's because there's a trampoline competition. Is there a dancing competition that I'm just not aware of? <laughs> well, that's their biggest. That's their biggest hit. Oh no, no, I so, I understand. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm I, that was that was obviously a, a very uh, yeah. poor attempt at humor. But I, I'm just I'm just saying it just seemed like a very interesting pick for. Uh, well, you're you're opening the Olympics. Um. And you know, play something. So, yeah. Well, I think what was really cool, and you really have to kind of hunt around to find this because it actually wasn't part of the broadcast. I think maybe the BBC might have aired it, but I'm not sure. Uh, Frank Turner did a, did an opening uh, medley for like with just him and acoustic guitar for like uh, four or five minutes before the actual ceremony started, which is kind of cool. So, I'll I'll give the shout out for Frank Turner. So, but there you go. So, so, any, so obviously for, for dear listeners on Spotify, I'm sure there's at least 15 or 16 different variations of the playlist that can be found. Uh, like you said, there's a CD coming out. Did it, did anyone have any other thoughts? I, I was just amused that you, that, that you were playing it. Maybe that's why, maybe the playlist is why the queen looks so damn grumpy the entire 
opening ceremony. She really well, looked like she was having well, a good time. I think it was too loud for her, is what I'm really thinking. Yeah, but, but, yeah. but surely, surely the, the, they have well, royal ha- earbuds or something. Or something. Well, you yeah. know, Wedge, when you, when, when you parachute out of a helicopter, you, you get a little queasy. So, uh, but to be fair, you know, she was in a, an environment to where she's sitting with that number of people. She's not, you know, above them or, I mean, it was a very uncomfortable kind of situation for her because she's not normally around that many, you know. Yeah, she's not. So I, I, I'm chalking up a lot of that, that, you know, and they said the queen is much more musically intuitive than, than people suspected. Um, you know, I did like the stuff that Underworld did. I thought that was like kind of nuanced and, and understated enough that it didn't overpower anything. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, and they didn't use Sting. So I'm, I'm very happy about that. <laughs> so. Wow. Uh, the Procession of Nations, I thought, was interesting that they used mostly, you know, a lot of different pop music, and they didn't try to mix it up with some, you know, world music or different other things. You know, they did. That was when they got to do a lot of underworld remixes of stuff, which is interesting. Well, yeah. yes, and, and leading into uh, as they referred to them, Team GB coming out to David Bowie's Heroes, which was nice. Yeah. So, uh, but no, I th- I thought it was a it was a nice. Um, if you think of it as a uh, a kind of greatest hits, you know what you know what it is. You know what it is. It is. It's like the um, what is it? The KTEL uh, greatest hits of Great Britain. Uh, yeah. You know, eighty three discs. It says all of that and more. It's that sort of thing. I think. Yeah. But somehow less annoying. So, but no, I just, I just thought that was interesting in that in that you had. Um, now uh, that's what you call British music. Oh. Wow, it's just dear listeners, you don't you know it's 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 literally that that quip from Tuffley was like when the when you're standing there with your arm in the air in a fight and someone just undercuts you right in the ribs. That's what it felt like. So fair play to you, sir. Uh, I, I bet you fuck buttons is never gonna be on a now record. That's all I'm saying. But it was great they got it in the Olympics. But it's gonna be on an Olympic record. Two tracks. Yeah, I well, that that's so so at what point how how many times did you think? Do you think that you know Danny Boyle looked around his crew, uh, and, and by the way, a crew that just blew my mind because because I'm sitting there with Cosette watching this thing and just wincing the entire opening during thinking, oh my god, the poor stage management. I mean, it just it was it looked like. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine doing a dress rehearsal for this? Oh yeah, we're just going to have the English countryside transform into the Industrial Revolution. Uh, yeah, and then okay, everyone back to places, <laughs> reset. We got to go from and the top. Oh my god! Kevin Kevin Branagh looked completely mystified by the whole experience. Uh, like he was sort of like taking it all. A couple times he was just sort of taking it all in. Oh yeah, I, well, I mean, think, wouldn't you? I mean, you're just basically. The, I know, I know. I, I mean, gonna, he looked overwhelmed. Yeah, um, well, I, I did like having that. you know Rattles there to conduct the symphony. I thought that was cool because he is pretty much the real deal in, in that world. And the bit with Mister Bean and the Chariots of Fire theme, I thought was very clever. Yes. No, that that was nice. So, uh, but no, I, I just, I, I just curious how, how many times you think Danny Boyle looked around his crew and said, you really think they're going to let us get away with this? Yeah. I mean, he's kind of like, well, we're never going to do this again. We might as well. Yeah. I want as well balls to the wall. I mean, so more, you know, fair, fair play to him. So, yeah. Yeah. But, but anyway, so, so there you go. Coming, coming and to soon. be fair, McCartney at the end was the cherry on top. 
yeah. You know. Well, there, yeah, and and there you go. So, and and basically, that was probably you know London saying, "We're very sorry we cut you off. We're sorry Bruce can't be here, but could you please do something for us?" Here's a million seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and by the way, to to ease the pain, here's a million seven. Yeah. I think he's no. Actually, I think he said he was paid one pound. But it was a very big pound. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, even he got teary eyed. I thought, you know, I did think though that that there was one of those genuine moments, though that you that you only get at a thing like this, where Paul McCartney's looking around, and his eyes are well enough, and he's just like, "Holy shit!" You know, I mean, you know. Um, well, admittedly, this is the only time that Paul McCartney is ever going to open an Olympics. Yeah. And, and that thought probably just hit him. <laughs> yeah, well, well I, I, honestly, though, if you have to find one English musician to sort of put your exclamation point on the Olympic ceremony, who else can it possibly be? Well, you yeah, know? seriously. And and I have to say, you know, the other thing, definitely, apart from just opening the Olympics, it's like it's basically, you know, Paul McCartney – who has done practically everything that you can do at this point musically going, well, that was the last thing on the list. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, honestly, at this point, I mean, the, the only thing, the only thing he could do is um, uh, now, now what was it with, with will I am uh, today, the day we're recording this about to have a, a song beamed back from uh, space. You know, that's that, Paul McCartney might be thinking, okay, well, there's something I could, I could go do, but, uh, yeah. but, but before that, I mean, when you when you're when you've been a damn Beatle and you've you've done you know a James Bond theme and you've you've made movies and you've made television shows and you've done all that stuff, basically by that point, opening the you know, basic being the headliner at the Olympics, yeah, is about the last thing that you could that you could do before you just go. All right, thank you very much, Detroit. Good night. So. And you know, there's a really great thing with with Alex Turner from the Arctic Monkeys. You know, they did come together. Yes, and which was apparently nice, they were. He's he's doing it. They're in the song, and there's a part of it where he looks off stage, and McCartney's standing in view of him while they're doing the cover. Oh shit! And he's like, "I've never been a person that's been self-conscious on stage, but I was just like so terrified to get off the stage at the end of this." And then you know they get off stage, and they're they're doing you know they're dismantling their stuff and. Even though he had all that stuff going on, McCartney went over, you know, and said, that sounded really good, guys. I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even that sort of, you know, if you're a band, I mean, even if you're any of those bands that played that and McCartney's actually in the building to watch you, because they oh, said he Jesus. made it a point to, like, watch all the music groups. Yeah. And he was, like, around watching all the bands and he was watching rehearsals and because, um, you know, people forget that Paul McCartney at the end of the day is a music fan like the rest of the world, right. you know. Um, and apparently like some of the athletes in different countries, like if they walked up and talking and got stuff signed and, and, and you know, I just can't even imagine, you know, it's yeah. just, yeah, that, that's, that, that would, uh, that would throw me for a loop. Oh shit. <laughs> I uh, just met a beetle. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. I'm covering a beetle song with a beetle in the wings. Oh my God. And, and, and not only is he in the wings, but he was in wings. So that's yeah. really frightening. <laughs> I just and really he liked that. me. He really liked yeah, me. Yeah, and he, he didn't have to say that. Oh, my God. Terrifying. Okay, so uh, so moving on from the Olympics to a topic that I know is is going to make uh, at least Rob get a little misty-eyed. <laughs> and that's the notion of punching Bieber, um, which, if it's not a ska band, should be. Oh, it should be an Olympic sport. 
<laughs> well, you know what? If trampoline's an Olympic sport, then surely punching Bieber could be an Olympic sport. And and Rob would uh, would be glad to coach anyone uh, in that to go for the gold medal. So uh, very quickly, the um, uh, the gist is this: that there is a new music video from uh, from Justin Bieber called "As As Long as You Love Me," I think is what it's called, and uh, which I actually went and watched in prep. That is how much I love this podcast. Is that is probably the only. Justin Bieber music video I have watched in its entirety. Yeah, yeah. When you say you watched it, you you actually put it on and then put the bacon in front of it to watch it for you. <laughs> now, right. Okay, Tuffley. Let me just say this, and I, I say this in all seriousness, is that it's one thing to take an animal product and eat it. Okay. It's another thing to take an animal <laughs> product that was designed to be eaten. And and make it deal with Justin Bieber, it probably would render it inedible. So no, I did not confront Bacon with Justin Bieber. And yeah, I, I was going to say because as we know, your your stunt double is the uh, my first Bacon. And and, and I'm I'm actually shocked and appalled. And somewhere Dindrain is uh, is wincing as she thinks about that. Uh, I think she would waive her feelings on animal rights if it involved hurting Justin Bieber. <laughs> in this case, we'd be hurting the Bacon, but. But so anyway, so the deal is this. Apparently, the music video. And from, OK, first of all, t- dear listeners, to say I watched it for you. So let me just save you. You're welcome. All right. Basically, the gist is Michael you started a Kickstarter campaign saying if you got $10,000, <laughs> you'd watch a Justin Beaver tape. That's what you should have done. Oh, uh, Rob, where were you when I needed you? Um, <laughs> basically, the the quote unquote plot of the of the music video is that Michael Madsen plays a uh, an overprotective father who basically says, "Leave my daughter alone, uh, or I'm going to have to kick your ass." And at some point in the video, he Jesus, how the mighty have fallen. He kicks Justin Bieber's ass. Um, now, no, no, Rob, I, I I will say this. I will say this that yes, Michael Madsen has fallen on hard times career wise, and he's done a lot of questionable direct to video type of things. But if you think about it. Uh, you and a lot of other people are a little envious of him at this moment because he got paid by Justin Bieber to punch Justin Bieber. Yeah. So, so I mean, so he hasn't fallen all that far. Uh, so unless his unless his agent said we want it in the contract that he gets to punch him, <laughs> which would have been great. Oh, that's nothing. Didn't the cast of CSI get to shoot him? That's true. Now I will say here. Here's the thing: is that is that I I have no you know. Attachment. Careful. To, no, no, no. Oh. I have I have no attachment to Justin Bieber. I I the music of his that I've heard has been just nothing. I mean, it's just fluff. Um, so I don't really understand. Uh, I, I don't have any intense hatred for him at all. I know that sometimes, shall we say, because he is very young and he is in a place where people ask him questions and he gets microphones put in front of him, he says stupid shit. But I mean, I think I can speak for all of us here when, uh, you know, there's not a day goes by when I don't uh, be great. When I'm not grateful that YouTube didn't exist when I was 12. I mean, I would just there would be it would be ridiculous. The amount of stuff that would be out there of me looking like an idiot um, and saying stupid shit on camera. I mean, I do that now, but at least I'm an adult doing it anyway. But my point is that that uh, there's a lot of hate for Justin Bieber. But I will say this. He appears to have enough of a sense of humor 
to allow himself to be shot on CSI when he knows that a lot of people would like to do that, uh, jokingly or not, and to have Michael Madsen kick his ass when he knows that a lot of people would probably like yeah. to actually kick his ass. So he, he basically went to Justin Timberlake school. Justin Timberlake school? Yeah, because Timberlake did that did a lot of that when he when he broke. Yeah. Uh he did a lot of that sort of self deprecating stuff as well. Ah, okay. You know, like a oh, lot of this people, is like, like the dolphin suit uh playing playing bass for uh the flaming webs and things like that, right? Yeah. I mean yeah <laughs> some of these guys some of these guys that are teen kids now sort of get the idea that, you know, they have a short shelf life and they're making fun of themselves sort of gives them career longevity because they're kind of like taking the mickey out of the fact that yes, we're a throwaway teen pop star, you know? So yeah, I do give you the, I do give you the point that yeah, it's fun. The guy's got a good enough sense of humor to let that happen, but man, it would be awesome to punch him in the face and not get in any trouble at all. That'd be awesome. The, the, uh, the, the pop, pop star equivalent of a hundred bullets. <sighs> yeah, but you have, you have, you have a punch and it's untraceable. And here's the picture of your target. Yeah. But uh, but no, I, and and I, you know, in the article itself, Madsen had nothing but but praise for uh, for Bieber and said that he didn't want to, he didn't want a stunt double. He actually wanted to get in there and and I will say <clears throat> that that Madsen, you know, I don't know, he he might be a nice guy in real life, but he's a scary looking dude. So I might not yeah. even want a stunt double if I was going to be in a fight with Michael Madsen because yeah. I'd be afraid he might like flip out and break my jaw or something. So. Well, anytime too you do a scene where you get punched by someone, there's a there's a certain risk, you know. Indeed, so. and and I I did uh, like I said the the music video has very like bookend plot and then lots of Bieber and and people dancing and honestly he's dancing with like uh you know women in the video which makes me go that really Michael Madsen's character had a point, so uh, yes. But anyway, slightly slightly terrifying news there. Uh, and the good news is we can rebrand the entire podcast now. So toughly can I can always say we're the two people who didn't watch a Beaver video. <laughs> I threw myself heroically on that grenade for all of you. No, it's okay. It's like you took the Ebola shot to find the vaccine. I get it. Yeah, I'm Dustin Hoffman in Outbreak. There you go. Yeah. You realize every time we do agendas for these things from now on, we're just going to try to get us to watch something like that. No, no, see, no, no, no. What, toughly, like, what well, you it? know, I watched that Justin Bieber video. No, hang on, hang on. Toughly, what, what sort of a monster do you think I am? That, that I would subject Bacon to Justin Bieber? That I would try to get you guys to watch? I, what am I, some you kind know, of diabolical I, Bond villain? What the fuck? I know he looked like Hugo Drax, but Jesus, I dude. Do, I, I just, I know how weird it would be in my house if it happened, but I just want to be there when Cassette walked in there. What are you doing? Oh, watch this Justin Bieber, Justin Bieber video. Okay, honey. Hey, what? What? Yo. What? No, no, no. I wait, would just, wait. Are there zombies in it? What? No, no. I, I, I would, I would actually, if I just said, oh, you get punched in it. I think that would pretty much just explain it. So this is, this is like that one time we just saw the Phantom Planet, that one Phantom Planet video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would love it. I would love it if your wife knit like a scarf with different people punching Justin Bieber in the face. That would be awesome. <laughs> oh God, that's, <sighs> that's terrible, but funny. Sorry. Uh, all right, so we'll just barrel straight in uh, to the big topic of the day, which is uh, which I, I, I'm, I'll 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 be full disclosure here. I was struggling with what the big topic was going to be. And then, as if proving that he had had 
some sort of mystical experience. <laughs> the artist formerly known as Snoop Dogg swooped in and and just like he made uh what was it 2007 brighter by being on the Martha Stewart show um he he made my week a lot better by me finding out that he has rechristened himself Snoop Lion and has decided to uh you know embrace Jamaica and create a reggae album now let me just say before we go any further, that while that sounds ludicrous, the track that he's released off the album is not bad. It's actually a fairly solid reggae track. So, uh, one, he smokes enough that he would fit into that culture seamlessly. <laughs> two, two, I there is not. I mean, there is not a, a very far distance from aspects of reggae to rap in that you know in reggae or you have toasting. So in many ways, he's doing what he would normally do as a rapper, but taking it down a notch, mm. and he's you know, with a live band. So I can imagine it's probably an incredibly refreshing artistic difference for him, you know, a change because he gets to like. Um, and I've heard that he does like reggae. I had heard some of that before that he was, you know, into some of that, you know. But if he can get to do a music that he loves and find a way to connect to it to where it's not a stretch, you know, it's not like Slash doing an acapella record or something, you know, good for him. You know, I, I thought it was kind of weird that he had to change the name, but I, you know, I just would have kept the name and done it. Yeah. But that's just me. Well, so, but that, but, but that leads me to the big topic, which is uh, name changes in music. Um, we've had them. They have been either for, you know, new directions, like with uh, Snoop, Snoop Dogg slash Snoop Lion, uh, or for, Legal reasons like Prince becoming the artist formerly known as Prince, a.k.a. Freaky Symbol Guy. Uh, they, they've been for uh, all kinds of things. I think Lily Allen just um, changed her official name because she's, what, is she married or something? something yeah, like Lily that? Allen Cooper. She's, yeah. she's trying to get credibility. Huh. Oh, sorry. Um... <laughs> no, no, but but there is that as well. You, you took the words right out of my mouth, Tuffley. Um, and I don't mean that in a meatloaf reference. I mean... That you look at from uh, from you know John Cougar going from that to John Cougar Mellencamp, and then I think he went back to John Cougar and then wound up with John Mellencamp. So, I, I guess thinking that. Cougar I wonder if that was, was a label thing. I don't know if it was or not. Uh, I think yeah. I think that I, I think in the case of Mellencamp, I think that was a label thing because he originally came out as John Cougar, right? And uh, uh, I, I think he hated the name, and so. Huh. Once the first, once he had a modest hit with the first thing they came out with, because it wasn't a huge hit, it was like a song in 1980. They made him do bandstand and all that shit. But um, I think when he was able to come back in the next couple of years and have progressively bigger hits, he was able to get to the point where he could drop Cougar from his name. Ah, see, so there you go. So, so yes, yeah, some some names are foisted upon you, and uh, I mean the other thing is. I know we were, uh, Robbie. You were saying you would have kept the, you know, the Snoop Dogg name, but, but I mean, name changes, especially in rap. Uh, some yeah. some folks change names like like you or I, uh, you know, change shirts. I mean, like how how many before before his untimely death? How many names did ODB have? I mean, yeah. And, and of course, uh, uh, you know, P Diddy. I'm assuming he is, or is he now just Sean Combs? I mean, uh, you know, again. You can't keep up with how many names these folks have. Notorious so. B.I.G. is the same way. Biggie, B.I.G., yeah. And Biggie Smalls, yeah. So, yeah. 
So, but yeah, so that that was, I guess, the, the big topic that I wanted to throw out there is these uh, these various name changes and uh, and and what they mean and and do we care? If at the end of the day, if if we as listeners are just like, yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Now now keep playing music. By the way, I just did a check of the App Store. By the way, Snoop Lion is not the update for Mac OS. Just just to get that out there. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Just just to get that lame joke out there. Yes, that's toughly <laughs> sacrificing you know, himself for lame jokes. You know, there you go. And you get these weird uh name changes too. The the one I can think of that's the that seems the most far out is Cat Stevens. But that was done again for religious reasons. Right. right. And I think that's that's kind of like an interesting Another sort of spin on this whole thing is that sometimes they'll do it for artistic differences or personal differences or cultural differences. And I think well, it's always fascinating because they spend all this time building up this one persona and then they literally just change it. And it doesn't always work well. It's kind of an interesting phenomenon. Well, I think I think with the uh, Yusuf Islam, Cat Stevens sort of thing, um, I think he dropped the Cat Stevens name because he was literally getting out of the music business when he did it. Yeah. He wasn't foreseeing coming back, yeah. uh, which he sort of has, which is kind of strange. But um, usually when you have – the name change usually happens at a point, not counting John Cougar Mellencamp, where the artist needs a name change because something has been done to the previous identity that does not sit well with the marketplace. Um. I will take the Lily Allen thing. I mean, the last thing people remember is it not her album that came out. It's not Me, It's You. It's the fact that she had fights with people from Radiohead and the British record industry about what constituted copyright infringement. Right? Yeah. Yes, I do remember that, yeah. And that is like just these these wackadoo statements on, you know, what she believed copyright infringement was. And uh, a couple of other kind of weird you know, manifestos and postings that she did, and then she went away for a while. Um, so I guess she's thinking, well, that's associated to the to the Lily Allen name, so she's going to come back and try something else. You know what I mean? And it might also be a deal to get all the capitals, which is Lily uh, Radiohead's label, <laughs> or uh, was. Well, everybody's getting off EMI, so that's not a <laughs> that's not a thing. But um, you know, sometimes, and and you get situations where, in the in in the situation with Prince, where he was trying to sever his contract with Warner Brothers, um, and I think probably in the case of Prince is probably the one where it probably ended up doing more damage than it actually you know benefited him yeah. ultimately, um, because I think the ultimate sort of thing with with the Prince thing was that he basically damaged his own brand to the point that when he was able to get control of it himself, nobody cared whether he put a record out. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that, and part of it was, I mean, what was part of that just to change itself or was part of it, the weird way he changed it in that, you know, he basically, they, they had to create the symbol and send it out to journalists so they could, you know, use it properly in articles. I remember that happening. Um, I, I think it was that, I, and really, I think the symbol thing was a kind of a shot to Warner Brothers, you know, 
I, I think that was more of what it was. And the longer he used that symbol, the longer he felt like he was sticking it to Warner's. Um, I think the unforeseen consequence of that is people didn't know, you know, people didn't associate that with him. Uh, so that, you know, or some people, because you can go away for a while or you can not listen to radio for a while. And then, oh, who's this symbol guy? And he kind of sounds like Prince. And then you don't care about all the other crap. You know what I mean? The average, the average people right. who keep up with this sort of thing will go, well, wait a minute. You know, I don't know who this is, even though it kind of sounds like Prince, but it's not really because not only did he change symbols, not only did he change names to an unpronounceable symbol, but he also changed his band. Yeah. He also changed his band and his entire sound at the time. Um, so it wasn't just he changed his name to a symbol, but he's still doing the same thing. He dropped the new Power Generation band and. And this had been what? This has actually been his third backing band into his career because he had, you know, he had NPG right before he changed the name. And then he dropped them and got another band. So he had basically literally changed his sound for the symbol. And, you know, when most people heard the stuff comparing between even that and the NPG stuff, they were thinking, I'm not interested in this. So he started going in a direction. He also started going in a direction and a backing band that that people may not have cared about as much. It would have been more acceptable had he done it with the Prince name and people would have kind of taken it and gotten by with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And uh, uh, and it was I, I just I just missed the, uh, the the generation band because you had that awesome drummer who wore hats that were like 10 feet tall. That that appealed to me for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> um, I was just looking up. I was trying to remember. Uh, I I meant to look this up before, but of course, preparation. What's that? Um, that uh, you also have when you're trying to distance yourself from something that you'd rather forget or, uh, you know, legal contractual things. You've also got fun stuff like uh, Chris Gaines. The, yeah. the, oh, yeah. Ill, the ill-advised Garth Brooks alter ego. Thanks, babyface. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> You're laying that at his you know, door, are you? But you know, for him, I think as a musician, I think that was a very freeing experience. Oh, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Because what, what, what happened is when we got to be Chris Gaines, that's kind of when he stops worrying about whether I'm selling a ton of records. He did the Chris Gaines thing, and there are people that really love that record that he made. And he got to do something new and kind of got some things out of his system. And then he went back to being Garth Brooks, and now he does his tour as Garth Brooks, and he does great um, in terms of gate. I mean, for a recording artist, you know. Another person I want to throw in. This will probably be the only one time we ever bring this up in a podcast if we're lucky. Is Hootie? All right. Okay. Good you call. Know? Yeah. Um, again, who sort of. Uh, in the same way that Prince was a disaster, he sort of reinvented himself with this one-off, really sort of bad pop singer into like a country sort of artist that people like and enjoy. You know, not well, particularly me. But, a record you know. as country artist than with Hootie at this point, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, he still does. I think Hootie tours, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah he they, does. they they still tour. Uh, with, he still tours with the Blowfish occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. But I think in the case of the thing that people don't remember about the Chris Gaines thing, the Chris Gaines thing is not like Garth Brooks going insane. 
Um, although, hey, if that's what you want to think about it, more power to you. It was supposed to be a movie. Right. It was really? Yeah, I remember that. Movie. It was uh, the, the, the whole Chris Gaines thing was a setup for a movie that was supposed to deal with the singer's mysterious disappearance, right? So Garth Brooks was apparently playing a character that was going to, that. was going to be in this film that never happened because they pulled the plug on it because they, the, the album didn't do as well as they thought it would. But the album was supposed to be the setup for a film. It was supposed to be a marketing campaign for a movie that they were going to shoot, and they never did. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. Now, now, if I remember correctly, wasn't wasn't it sort of known at the time? There was no mystery as to who Chris Gaines was. It was just known this was what Garth Brooks was doing. Yeah, yeah, because it was well, they didn't quite promote it that way at first. Uh, at first, they just you know. They did one of those things where it was, you know, the unlabeled record by an artist and that sort of thing that they do every once in a while. Um, and then as, uh, when the pictures came out, when they started to talk about the project a little more, um, you know, they had mentioned this and then they had mentioned briefly, OK, well, this is going to be a movie, but it never quite got to that point. So, well, I was just curious because I, I was thinking of. Um, wasn't it Gwyneth Paltrow that. Had had that single that came out where they didn't say it was her. Am I thinking of that right for Country Strong, or was that another movie where duets where she did that thing with Huey uh, Lewis? No, 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 no. This, this was this was a single that was released by an actress as a country single, and they didn't say it was from her. They said it was from the character, so that oh, so that yeah, it would yeah. be judged for the song rather than oh well, it's somebody playing it country. Was that Country Strong, Rob? Do you remember? I think so, but I could be wrong. Um, I believe it might be, yes. Yeah, I was trying to... Because I know that that record sort of took off and they didn't expect it to. So, anyway, I was just, I was curious about that. If if they had tried to promote Chris Gaines completely as entirely independent music yeah. person. Uh, but then, but then, of course, the, as, as they probably learned, um, would anyone care? Uh, I guess it depends on the type of album. Uh, or quality of album. I don't know. I've I've actually never heard it. Uh, that's right. Watch the Bieber video. Haven't listened to the Chris Gaines album. So that's okay. If you did both, okay. the world would explode. You've you've taken enough for the team. Sir. Thank you. Thank one you. one would argue that you know you were you were researching for the apocalypse track panel we're doing by listening <laughs> to the Bieber. <laughs> I'll be sure to bring that up actually. Um, but uh, but no. So I mean, so th there's various reasons about this, and I think the um, uh, the main the thing is exactly what you're talking about. If you if you've built up this name brand, um, screwing around with it is uh, uh, is is mm -hmm. uh, volatile. I mean, it can it can it can backfire on you. I think. Um, is there are there any other examples that you guys can throw out apart from like I said the the fifteen thousand different names that most uh, rappers seem to have which seems and, and and that's what's crazy is they seem to for the most part uh they're like, like for example when, when it was puff daddy to p diddy i think there was a bit like 30 seconds of really and then everyone just got over it which is yeah weird. but but it so that seems to be like the one genre where people can just shift names and everybody goes okay it's like it's like yeah. all right odb you're big baby jesus that's cool whatever you want man i mean it's just it really it really seems like most people just don't care um what what I they're mean, calling themselves out, 
outside of the rappers, though, I can't think of kind of a successful name change where the the the, the second name was more successful than the original. I, I can't think of one outside of the rap guys. Yeah, except maybe weirdly Hootie, but that's a whole different world. So, yeah, which I can't even believe I pulled that out of the hat. So. Um, not tough. It's the only truly innocent one here. Um, no, I can't think of anything really either. Although I can't think of one. Didn't Q-Tip change his name too after he left? Didn't who? Q-Tip didn't after he do uh, a tribe after he left tribe he did a Q-Tip record. Didn't he do another record with a different name? But I um, do. I think he did. Uh, well, he did that thing that was what Dominator with uh, Busta Rhymes and a couple of different people. Yeah. So. I don't think Sinead. I don't think Sinead changed her name. No, she um, no, she didn't change her name. Um, and you could make and you could make the case if anyone was going to change her name, it, it should have been Sinead O'Connor. Huh. Uh, it would not have helped. No, I I was just looking. I I didn't see where uh, where Q Tip changed his name. I'm not seeing it. On I Wikipedia, thought he did. I could be wrong. Right. Yeah, but. Um, but no, I just I I think it's I I think it's interesting that for the I mean like for example going back to the rap thing where you had folks changing the name like ODB and P Diddy and whatnot they seem to do I don't remember there being any sort of major change that they were trying to do like we were talking about there there was no like well I'm I'm closing one chapter of my life and moving on to the next one now there might yeah. have been there might have been. But but I find it interesting that with like with the Snoop Dogg situation, is that he 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 really is tying this in with I I went here and I I embraced the culture and they they named me Snoop Line and I went that's it that's me and ran with it. I mean I mean there's a there's a documentary film coming out uh, to accompany the uh, the new album apparently. And I guess here's an interesting question: mm. If Snoop does another rap album, is he going to go back to Snoop Dogg? Is he going to is this a delineation between okay, this is a rap album and okay, this is a reggae album? That's uh, that's a good question. I mean, it would it would uh, it would make sense, and it, and it is it is very true that you would have even if he is now saying I'm done with the rap stuff, I'm going to do reggae. That he'd go back. I mean, just like all these bands. Oh, we're never going to tour again, and they're on their like sixth, you know, reunion tour. Um, every band always gets back together. It's it just seems to be even even if uh, worst case scenario, it's like uh, you know, the the Shangri Las featuring one original Shangri La still left. We wheel her out and then we perform. Um, Tuffley knows what I'm talking about. Those kind of acts came through Huntsville all the time. Uh, still do. So, uh, but no, the I, Mary I, Walls, you're standing on my head project. <laughs> wow. I, th that's actually a really great name for a band. Actually, the that was, that was actually the second name for the Supremes, but, uh, <laughs> Oh man. Oh God. Uh, but, but right that now. yeah, seriously. Oh, we'll get, we'll get that domain name. Um, well, you have, then you have, you know, the obvious ones, cause they used to be like, what, uh, David Bowie's original name is Davy Jones. So you change your name because of the guy for the monkeys, you know, it, it was, it used to be stuff like that. It wasn't all of this. I'm going to the next phase of my career, the phase where I don't sell as many records as I used to, but yeah. you know, one of those things. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Well, when you're, when you're starting out with a, uh, with, with a, with an alias, I mean, you need to have something that's, 
Um, I mean, we see it all the time when you go look up on Wikipedia, which is always right, and you find out that somebody's, you know, original name was like, you know, Cecil, you know, something. Mm -hmm. And, and the, you know, it's, like, it's not a very good rap moniker, you know, nom du rap. That's probably not a good one. So, And it happens a lot with some DJ type people, too, because a lot of these DJs will use more than one moniker if they make a record outside of their genre, sort of. You know, you'll have like... Uh, Oh, so the guy calls himself Plastic Man, but then he uses his real name as well. And then you've got like Luke Viber who records under a different name, and then you know three or four different names. You know, you, you get a lot of that kind of stuff too. You know, which is kind of frustrating to keep track of. At the same time, you totally get it. You know, as they're changing what their style is, they change what they do. You know, their name. Well, and the other thing too is it's not even just like a, a single person's name. If you think about it, um, you know, because. The thing that always impressed me about Nine Inch Nails is you open up the album and it's Trent Reznor is Nine Inch Nails. So for him to basically, you know, hang that up, at least temporarily, that's in essence a name change because, I mean, I mean, granted, it did evolve into a band uh, yeah. where we had people with him. But for the longest time, it was just him. Yeah. Uh, so so I mean that that's a bit of a name change there. Now, granted, it is a it is a I'm going to, uh, you know, go win some Oscars for uh uh, for scoring films, sort of name change, but but it, it, I mean, I think it still counts. I think probably an interesting example. And this is what uh, would probably be for, or at least something like that, would probably be Jack White, who just kept inventing bands <laughs> and never released True. a Jack White album until like this year. That is very true. Uh, well, and and um, uh, you know, well, well I, and the other thing is, is that it's it's very useful. I mean. It's nice to have uh, an alias that you can fall back on. And, uh, of course, I, uh, you know, I always say that uh, I'm Widget Walls and I write my pen name is John Robinson and vice versa. Uh, nobody knows my real name. Um, but what was great about that was when I was in the band um, and Widget was the lead singer and John Robinson was the manager of the band. They just assumed that they were two separate people. Oh, you've got a separate manager. Oh, well, you guys must be serious then. <laughs> That was useful. Oh, street cred, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, th then you also have stuff like uh, what was it, the Folksman opening up for Spinal Tap? It's the same yeah. damn band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and um, and didn't uh, didn't Re didn't didn't Reznor win for a uh, social network or? Didn't he? Didn't he uh, win an Oscar? Reznor won for Social Network, and he won for he was I, was he nominated for Dragon for Tattoo? A... I think he yeah. was. I think that was like the one nomination that it got, which was sad. But um, <clears throat> but yeah. So so just so there you go. The name change is important. Danny Elfman has been nominated. D Danny Elfman, the the Meryl Streep of musical score nominations, and Trent Reznor walks in and just wins. It's just yeah. sad. Um. All right. Although, wait a minute. Yes, Danny Elfman. He he does. He's not. He gets nominated like every year, doesn't he? He's not one of these people that we're just like. Why isn't he nominated? I'm remembering that. Well, right, it's right? not every year, but every couple. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just checking. Yeah, because it's usually it's usually him and Randy Newman. Yeah. Yeah. Less Newman these days, though. I haven't or, seen or, too yeah. much Newman. Or Horner or uh, Joe Horner, Bob Horner, whatever. James Horner. James Horner. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, it it seems to be it seems to be Danny Elfman is now the. Uh, <laughs> I swear to God, every other movie I go see, musical score by Danny Elfman. It's like, oh, wow. Now, I know this is kind of a little different, but I think it kind of goes into the direction where we're going. Yeah. 
when like Steve Perry leaves Journey, they get a new singer. They sound completely almost different, and they still call themselves Journey. Yeah, yeah. Does it kind of fall into this sort of no? I mean, I, I think well, I think that's an interesting spin on it. Is is when a name change might be warranted. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, in in that the uh, well, you know, look well, at it it's this something way. like when the two guys who are the, who who were two thirds of the Jam tour don't tour with Paul Weller and haven't, and they can't call themselves the Jam because Paul Weller owns the name. Well, and that's true. And I mean, just look at there's there's many many examples of that. I mean, and, you, yeah, the beat. Well, well, you you could yeah. make, you could make the same argument for Pink Floyd without Roger Waters. Um, you could say uh, uh, when. Um, you had uh, Chicago changing, right? W- going yeah. go- going from horn-infused awesomeness to uh, let's see how many sappy love songs we can crank out on a particular album. Uh, and a- another huge one, uh, Genesis without Peter Gabriel. Yeah. I mean, when you want to talk about a complete change in band... Um, but, but then again, I mean, it, it seems like uh, going back to Pink Floyd... Uh, that was a more gradual one, though, because Hackett stayed for two albums. For, for Genesis. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, the only person they had lost originally was Peter Gabriel. Uh, Steve Hackett stayed with the band for like two or three more albums. Mm. And uh, so, so technically, you know, you really didn't have to change that name until you get to, and then there were three. But, but they, they've they've still got the name. But I mean, but yeah. I, I was just going to say that. You could even make an argument for uh, Pink Floyd post Sid Barrett because that was also uh, now, now more there gradual. Is the one but, album, there but, is the one album where uh, Genesis did without Phil Collins. Really? Oh yeah, I did well, not know it, that. Which is the one in like the late nineties, I think, after after Phil Collins left. Huh. And they came out with another Genesis record with somebody else singing. Well, and Supertramp after Roger Hudson left. Yeah. Yeah, and. And again, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I seem to be stuck on Floyd, but it seems to keep expanding in my own head, is that Final Cut is basically a Roger Waters album just done as Pink Floyd. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Or yeah I think there's a correlation with those. In a certain... Well, you could also make the case of Momentary Lapse of Reasoning is basically a Gilmore solo album, with, which it basically was, if you start reading into it, but uh, that Momentary Lapse of Reasoning, the 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 first post Waters album was just a Gilmore solo record, right? But uh, because the other two members really didn't play on it at all, really. Yeah. Now, now I know that at the time, uh, Wright was not officially back. But... Yeah, they had they couldn't re- rehire White uh, Wright yet, and uh, Mason Mason played on a couple of the songs, but it was mostly Gilmore and studio musicians. Uh, Mason did uh, sound effects for the record. Huh. So technically, it wasn't really a Pink Floyd record. Wow. Division Bell, now, by the time you get to Division Bell, all of them played on the record. But uh, for for momentary lapse of reasoning, uh, for the studio record, it was mostly Gilmore and studio musicians. Huh. Well, there you go. That that completely reforms my college years. Um, Thank you, Professor. Yes. Wow. <laughs> but uh, but no, I mean, that that's that's an interesting point is you have some things that have changed. But I mean, here's what's interesting. You could have you could almost say because I mean, the band is an entity unto itself. 
and it changes uh changes personnel and things change or they just change without really change like the key players like for example let's go to our favorite fishbone i mean fishbone lost uh a lot of personnel over the years but yeah. i would i would argue that i mean that the two key players in that stayed and yet the sound changed considerably it's it's sort of shifted back in that direction now yeah but i mean it's so it's a point at which you know at what point are you you know the, even though you you haven't changed like at what point does um you know well oh well here you go here here's here's a perfect example at what point with with Paul Simon suddenly shifting to rhythm of the saints you know does he change his sound so uh uh so considerably that yeah. he's almost a different act or when Bob Dylan goes electric i mean you know yeah or i was thinking of something more like which you know fishbone becomes sort of a collective band mm. sort of um, I was thinking something like uh, like PIL, which is you know Public Image Limited, which is mostly associated with John Lydon. Right. But in the but in the its original state, it was actually more of a band instead of you know just whoever's backing John Lydon at this very yeah. second. Um, which was on his sort of solo record. It was kind of like that too. Yeah. Where he yeah. Um, and and and. and and you have that because you uh because obviously um uh Levine and Jao Wobble are not touring with him right now and had nothing to do with this record. Um but most of the time when people think of Public Image Limited, they think it's John Lighton and whoever's backing him up, basically. So there's there there's that idea of sort of a collective band where the lineup never really is. There never is really a stable lineup. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Well, this is expanding even beyond what I thought it was going to, which is there you go. Uh, which is oddly typical for the soundboard. No, it's good. But uh but no, I mean that's the that that that's that's the sort of thing that that uh that I guess is is the is the question is that you know what what is in a name, right? I mean obviously the branding, obviously an expectation of what you're going to hear, um and then you know at what point uh, at what point should it change, or does it change, or does it even matter? I mean, at at uh, myself, and why? Yeah, and why? And because, like, at the end of the day, like going back to going back to you know Pink Floyd, I I can listen to Piper at the Gates of Dawn just like I can listen to Division Bell or The Wall or anything in between, and and really not just care. Uh, I'm I'm almost actually uh, happier. That there's a range of stuff that I can have some Floyd depending on whatever my mood is in, you know. If, yeah, if I yeah. want if I want to break furniture, I can listen to one of these days. Um, or if I, you know, if I want to, uh, uh, you know, just just mellow out. There's uh, lots of the Gilmore stuff from Division Bell. Uh, or if I just want to confuse myself, there's uh, several species of small fur animals gathered together in a cave and grooving with a pict. So I mean, you know, <laughs> it's nice to have variety. Uh, under a uh, under one moniker, and that and that yeah. and that I, I guess goes back to one of the other topics that we've mentioned before is that you know at a certain point, um, do you want the same album over and over again from a band? Um, but yes, the fact that they're the same band with the same name, at the end of the day, most people I don't think would care. Hmm. <laughs> did I did I just kill it there? <laughs> No, I think it's. I think you pretty much nailed it, nailed it on the head, um, for the reasons of why that happens. 
But I think, too, in the case of, I mean, I, th- I think Prince is sort of the isolated incident of the whole thing, because I think for him, he's backed in such a corner with the label that his name change thing was, was clearly, upon hindsight, a business thing um, and a legal thing, whereas everyone else, I think, was more of an, artistic, uh, of an artistic thing. And sometimes, you know, it could be an artist trying to be creative. Sometimes it could be they find Jesus and just don't want to have that name and that lifestyle associated with them. Sometimes it could be, you know, anything. I mean, it's it's a kind of phenomenon uh, subculture of whole, the whole music recording industry that's kind of fascinating. Well, and you know, it's it's interesting, too, because I was just thinking that this is sort of, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong in this, but this is sort of unique to um, musicians. Because, I mean, yeah. because you can have, like, for example, uh, you, you can have, uh, you know, I think the closest would be like authors because like, for example, Stephen King became Richard Bachman when he was told that he was writing too much, you know, and he didn't want to wait to put the stuff out. I know Dean Koontz writes under several uh, monikers for the same sort of thing, but you can, but you can have uh, a different uh, pen name for, I mean, because obviously if you're like a, uh, uh, you know, a writer of serial killer, true crime, when you switch over to do your children's book, you might, you know, want to rethink uh rethink how you're branding yourself but but i think for the most part even then you don't have an author at least none spring to mind i'm sure somebody will correct me on this but you don't have an author that basically just decides to change their name either on a lark or because they're moving into something else you know what i mean so it just seems like the music industry is unique in that um from from an artistic point of view because they're the only people that seem to do that, really, the way that we've been talking about it. Yeah, and and, and I don't know that. And that kind of seems to be an offshoot of you know more people reinventing themselves, because you didn't have that up to a certain point until you had like Bowie and Madonna doing it on a regular basis, um, and some some acts and some people or lineup changes or whatever, some people don't feel comfortable with carrying on yeah. with that other name. Well, like Sonic Youth, when they became Sakona Youth and did the whole Madonna's cover. That was yeah. kind of clever, you know. Yeah. But. Well, and, and and definitely bring up a good point. I mean, two very good examples there is that um, you've got, uh, you know, Madonna, who's sort of, I mean, shifted around what she's been doing a little bit. I mean, you know, going from... Uh, uh, from being, you know, material girl to, uh, you know, erotica sex book and stuff like that. Yeah. And she kept her name. But, I mean, David Bowie, even when he assumed a persona, um, was still David Bowie under the persona. And, yeah, David Bowie as Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, David Bowie as the, you know, the... the, the um, oh, Nashville sh- Earth and... Yeah, 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 yeah. Then White Duke and... Then White Duke and uh, the, the other one that I've said I've completely blanked on. Um, he's had so many. Major Tom. Major Tom, but yeah, the other one, the um, oh, Aladdin Sane. Oh, Christ, yeah. God, blanking on the David Bowie. That's not good. Um, but yeah, but it was it was interesting in that it was almost like a stage production. Uh, like you know, you know, David Bowie in Ziggy Stardust yeah. and the Spiders of Mars, uh, as opposed to trying to say, oh, I am Ziggy Stardust. Yeah. Um, so. Or almost like, or or you know, the closest I can think of that that a band did was uh, when when the Who did Tommy. To me, it was almost like it was them standing back from and putting Tommy forward as uh, as, <laughs> as, as as almost like a group, 
even though it's more. I mean, that's the you know, even though it was more of a you know. A, well, even the case of Tommy and uh, Quadrophenia. Well, yeah, you would, you would have yeah. that band as character sort of. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Um, which uh, which could be you know an, an entire big topic on its own, the collective character of bands. Um, <laughs> but no, I think I I just I just thought it was interesting in that it, that it occurred to me hearing the Snoop Dogg to Snoop Lion thing. And on one hand going, what? And on the other hand, hearing the song and going, well, all right. I mean, if that works for you, dude, then that's cool because that's a pretty solid song. Um, it just seems that there's a lot of history of that going on with music. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it, it seems to either nobody cares or, it, uh, it, like you said, toughly, they, people care, but in the wrong direction. So, yeah. I, I think it just depends. I think it depends if, you know, the result of the name change is actually good. Right. You know, if it's good, then nobody's going to care. Right. Um, if it's not yeah. quite as good as the last thing you did or the biggest thing you did under the previous name, you're always going to get compared to the previous, your, your previous identity. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Because so yeah. if this because if the Snoop the Snoop Lion album if this does come out and it tanks really really bad not just a tanks and goes away if it's a tanks and kind of lingers sort of thing yeah. because they try to you know save the plane from going down then you know it, it is ultimately going to be you know seen as a flop and we'll get another Snoop Dogg record but you know it it, it will be compared to the stuff he's done previously. Um, in, in kind of a negative way, um, if if the work is bad, if the work is good, it kind of it, it sort of people don't care. So, yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, yeah, it does. I think I think so. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. It's uh, in the end, like with most things, it's the music. And, yeah, uh, and a rose by any other name would uh, would probably. Uh, light up a blunt just as large. I think yeah, that's what we're saying in the case. And I mean, and I mean, oh, even even in Bowie circles, you could make the case with Bowie and Tin Machine. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Where he, where he had that five seconds of being in Tin Machine, but the stuff he came out, the the Bowie stuff that came out immediately after the Tin Machine stuff was like really, really good quality Bowie. But the stuff, you know, the stuff he was doing with Tin Machine, you listen to it and you wonder, really. Really? What are you thinking? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but then he comes out but then he comes out with stuff like outside. You start to yes. get he starts to get that, that vibe back and he then comes out and that sort of thing. Which so, I, uh, I wish they'd do the, the rest of yeah. the series on that. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, but no and, and it's funny you mentioned that because it just it occurred to me now, uh traveling Wilburys. Yeah. Where you have a bunch of people who are known for being someone else. Yeah. Putting aside all of their personas and becoming a collective character of this you know, completely separate band. A la, and again, going back to what the Beatles were sort of trying to do, uh, well, not trying to do, they succeeded with Sergeant Pepper. So it was kind of, th that was their Ziggy Stardust in that let's, let's just, and, and I've, I've listened to the interviews about the making of Sergeant Pepper, which is fascinating in that, you know, they, they were trying to get away from who they were in order to do something that, you know, kept them sane and kept them interested in actually being a band. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, the name change is a tool, and like most tools, it can be used for good or evil, or just left in a toolbox to rust away to nothing. So there, you, <laughs> there you have it, there you have it. Um, so I, uh, 
I, I think I think that'll just about do it for this uh, this episode of the soundboard. Yeah, that was a really interesting little uh, discussion there. Yeah, no, that, that, yeah. That, that went a lot uh, a lot more crazy places than I thought it was going to. But uh, but such is the case when Robert Hayes is flying your plane. Wow, uh, thank you, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> All right, listen, kid. All right, so. <laughs> Uh, so no, uh, we, we will be, um, uh, what I would say is to our dear listeners, um, if you're going to be around Dragon Con, please watch for us because we're doing at least two music panels. We're doing a Brit pop panel and we're doing a panel with the apocalypse rising, uh, track where we're going to be talking about music of the apocalypse. Um, and I think those are both Sunday. I don't exactly know the exact time because I don't have it in front of me because I'm scared to look at it because it may the, the apocalypse one I thought there's Saturday but I, okay. I I don't know the apocalypse one is first and then the Britpop one okay we I, swear to God we won't mention Bieber in the apocalypse panel oh Seriously. no I think I might have to um <laughs> but uh I did watch that video by God oh um, but but I will say that uh, we're going to do our best to uh, record those panels uh, and we'll be sharing them with you here like most of the stuff that we do on Dragon con so it's you know it's it's not exactly live streaming of our live yeah. performance of the soundboard, but uh, and it is taped. We'll away. have guests, which is great. Yeah, we'll have yeah, special we, friends with us. We, we will have we will have guests, so it'll be like an expanded soundboard, but live yes. and in a room with actual people. And it'll be, like, it'll be like interesting people and and the usual three idiots. So it'll be yeah. great. Yeah, I always think it's interesting when when Kim does the music panel with us because it sort of levels off me and toughly like like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she she does have a taser, so yeah, yeah. So, uh, so anyways, th- thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Soundboard. As always, uh, if, uh, if you heard something, heard about something on this podcast that you would like to go check out and for all of your music purchasing needs, um, if you're going to buy them from Amazon, whether it's on CD or MP3, if you're going to buy them through the Amazon store, uh, keep this URL handy, needcoffee.com slash Amazon. Just bookmark that, use it. You'll go to the front page of Amazon like nothing happened, but magically you'll have used our affiliate code um and uh, it'll be just like you've gone to the front page of need coffee and searched for something but uh we're skipping the middleman and passing the time savings on to you and that sort of thing um helps keep the lights on we get kickbacks for it and it's much appreciated so uh so there you have it on behalf of myself and robin tuffley we'll see you next time on the soundboard that's another one in the can bye guys we're changing our name to the sound recorder next episode (laughs) I, n- I never could play a recorder when I was a kid, but, <laughs> but, but I can barely podcast, so it's actually fairly accurate. <laughs> and stop it.